Physicians can really answer a lot of the questions known to man, but one of the questions they really struggle with is, where should I put my money, what should I do with things, and how can I set myself up for retirement? Welcome to ReachMD Book Club. I'm your host, Dr. John Russell. Today, we're talking with James Hempel, co-author of Changing Outcomes, a financial recovery strategy for peak career physicians. Jim, welcome to the program. Thank you. Happy to be here. So in in looking at that physician who's 50 and suddenly has got this realization that I'm retiring in 15 to 20 years, maybe I need to start putting away some money. What are the common mistakes that you see that 50-year-old who shows up to see you for the first time? So, so the usual mechanism by which Americans get into financial trouble is owning too much stuff. And there is a great illusion in America, which is that rich, so how do you define being rich? How can I tell if I'm wealthy? And the way we uh, define that by default in the U.S. is I have more stuff. So if you're a physician, the ones who get in the most trouble are specialty physicians with higher incomes. Mm-hmm. I can have more stuff than almost anybody else. Maybe not more than the hedge fund guy or the professional hockey player. You know, but I can have more than a lot of other people. So the one definition of rich is I have more stuff. A more practical definition of rich is I'm rich when I can maintain my chosen lifestyle for the rest of my life without being required to work. So what happens is docs are highly intelligent. They're also really busy. It's very easy to get to age 50, age 55 and say, wait a minute, I thought I was rich because I always took the nice vacations. I have the nice house. If I stopped working, I couldn't keep this going for five years. So what do I do now? And the first thing that you do is, so the first thing is you need to start changing that definition of rich. Psychologically, that's tough. You know, it sort of helps to have peers to talk through that with. And if you're a successful physician and you can look around, there is certainly in your peer group somebody who doesn't have as nice a car, doesn't have a fancy house, but you kind of have, have the sense that he's financially better off. Go talk to that guy. So that should be someone should become your friend. Right. Go, go talk to that guy. Go talk to that gal. How did you do it? Um, you know, what, what, what are the uh, things that are in the way of that psychologically? Change that, that friend relationship and, and pick up the benefit of that person's what's, ideas. What's really interesting when you talk about often the doc who's in the pickle isn't necessarily someone who is at the lower income for physicians, but often people at the higher income for physicians, which just seems so backwards. Very, very much so. And that's something that I've, I've discovered throughout my career is it is not the top line income. It's how you allocate the income. And the people who are in the most trouble are the people who believe they're rich because they have so much stuff. And the question is, okay, if you stopped working today, how long could you keep this going? And we'll have that conversation with physicians uh, who, who are referred into the practice. How long could I keep it going? Two years, three years. And we're talking about people who are in their 50s. So the first thing is to change your head, to change your definition of wealth from I have more stuff to I have more control of my life. I can walk away. And the second thing is to look around at what do you own. Mm-hmm. So from a financial standpoint, if your accountant does your balance sheet and you have a stable of Arabian horses and a historically significant mansion and a former America's Cup racing yacht, wow. all of those things show up as assets. But we don't think about them as assets because none of them put money in your pocket. So a really good way of thinking about a so functional net worth as opposed to nominal net worth. So where we have the most traction in turning things around for the peak career physician is looking at the balance sheet and identifying the assets on the balance sheet that are 
taking money out of pocket every year, every month, and turning those into, over a period of three to five years, assets that are putting money into your pocket. Perfect example is, I've got a million and a half dollar shore house. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so anybody listening to this knows that we're somewhere near Philadelphia <laughs> or the Jersey Shore. It's a vacation house. I'm carrying a big mortgage. I'm renting it out. The rentals cover a third of the cost mm-hmm. of the house. You don't realize it, but you are actually subsidizing for decades at a time other families' retirement experiences. So take the half million dollars of equity that is in that house. Sell the house. If you want to go to the short rent, let somebody else subsidize right. your vacation, you know, rent from right. your partner down the street, mm-hmm. and put that into something that is a productive asset that is going to grow in value over time. And if you graph it, you can actually have a remarkable turnaround in three to five years if you're able to convert assets that take money out of your pocket to functional assets to build your functional net worth over a three to five year period. And you even wrote that a lot of the kind of the biggest real estate gaffes that are seen by folks uh, down the Jersey Shore are often perpetrated by physicians. I remember very well in 2006, we rented the same little uh, you know, three-bedroom half-duplex that we always rent on the beach block. Mm-hmm. And I was talking to the owner one day, and he said, oh, he said, you know, everybody always makes money at the shore. And I said, well, that's not true. And he said, everybody always makes money. And I said, look, I'll tell you what, you know, this market is a bubble. It was 2006. Mm-hmm. It was a year before the top. I said, the kiss of death is when you see physicians buying properties, tearing them down, and putting up massive new properties, Mm -hmm. that's the top of the market. And just this shadow came over his face, and he pointed to the house right next to the one we were renting. Mm -hmm. In the process of being finished, three and a half stories tall with like a captain's walk or whatever, gorgeous. He said, well, that's a cardiologist. And that and that was kind of unusual in the book because you know I naively you know before reading that oh real estate always makes money and yeah. never lose money and real estate not really true and maybe not, not the place not really true for, we had a little, for every physician yeah we we had a little thing called the financial crisis in two thousand eight all the papers yeah where, where essentially American real estate blew up the entire world economy and the illusion was that that real estate that you can't help but make money in real estate. Absolutely not the case. Um, When we were first married, the day after the honeymoon, my wife said, you know, this house that you bought, it's way too small. Mm -hmm. And so we ended up buying a big house, a new construction Mm -hmm. house, not insanely large, you know, not not certainly legendary Mm -hmm. or anything, smallest on the block. But we now call it the big stupid house. <laughs> and, and and yeah, we call it that just just sort of as as an object lesson for ourselves. And certainly, it's thirty three hundred square feet, yeah. but it didn't make us rich. Yeah. You know, it, it took money out of our pocket. It's a nice house. We've mm-hmm. had lots of nice dinner parties. We like sitting mm-hmm. out on the back deck, but it's the big stupid house. So the the compound interest can be really very yeah. exciting, very sexy, right? Yeah. So I I love the thing in the book where you illustrate. Boy, there's the person who puts away from 35 to 45, comparing that person who puts away from 45 to 65. Can you walk us through there? So so imagine that you get out of med school, you're age 35, and you start saving 20% of your income. And you do that for 10 years, age 35 to 45. Mm -hmm. Assume you get 8%, about the historical average return of the stock market. And then you stop. Mm -hmm. You only save for 10 years. And somebody else at age 45 starts off, saves 20% a year, for the rest of their career, for the next 20 years. The 20-year saver never catches up. So for the early saver, most of the value, the terminal value, $3.5 million in this case, is from growth. For the later saver, 
only about half the value is growth. The rest is just sort of the brute force effect of savings, which is why for the 50 or 55-year-old physician who has under-accumulated, they don't have time on their side. So they, they really need to start right-sizing the lifestyle now as opposed to later. They, they need to take existing assets and make them more productive. It's, it's much like that diabetic who comes in who suddenly they need to change everything about what they're eating and their diet and things like that. So people need to go on this financial diet, so to speak. And, and that's a great analogy. You don't want to start with small changes at the margin and sort of find out five years later it's not enough. Just commit yourself to a radical makeover and you really can get traction, but you have to give yourself as much time as you can. For, for the older physician, the, the kind of the mid-career physicians, so, so accumulation of stuff is a big mistake. Yeah. Often are we putting things in the wrong, you know, are, are people trying to manage the stock market themselves? And, you know, what, you know, where should, if I'm going to put money in the stock That's, market and I'm in mid-career, should I be trying to read the paper? Am I going to figure out, you know, the, the Jim Cramers of the world, are they going to lead now, me to riches? So, so understand, so, and you and I have talked about this, that you can own the 500 largest companies in the U.S. by buying an index fund. And so you get all of the profit potential of that investment. Start there. The chances that you are going to actually make returns at the margin have a measurable, sustainable advantage over the market, that chance is remote. And what is your time worth? You know, so you think about a physician and, and who's, uh, I had a conversation with a guy who's the head of cardiology mm -hmm. of a really mm -hmm. well-known Midwestern uh, mm -hmm. hospital, and he said he has colleagues who are behind the eight ball financially, and he sees them day trading in their offices in between patients. That's what they're trying to do. Uh, they're, they're trying to make it back by day trading. That's not a job. So the best way of thinking about it is you want your investments to be sensible. If you're 50 years old, it's entirely possible you're living for 40 or 50 more years. Mm -hmm. Educated people live longer. Physicians live longer. Female physicians live longer mm -hmm. still. You're going to have a lot of time, so you want to have growth. But you're not going to find an advantage by trading actively in your account. What you want to do is you want to push savings. You want to make your assets productive. At that point, there's, there's a good argument for having a relationship with an investment advisor who knows what they're doing. Now, I, I mm -hmm. say that because I am one or think sure. that I'm one. Sure. But the big thing is don't expect investment results to make up for deficits in savings and spending. Always get the saving and spending picture right first. Mm -hmm. Then the investments can support that. But it just isn't realistic to think that investments are going to make up for not saving enough money. You're listening to ReachMD Book Club. I'm your host, Dr. John Russell. We're speaking with author James Hempel, author of Changing Outcomes, a Financial Recovery Strategy for Peak Career Physicians. Do you think there's a lot of mid-career mid physicians who are, you know, underwriting too many other things, you know, that they're not going to put into the retirement because they're helping out this person or that person right. or the other thing? You know, the, the big heart that is a, a huge part clinically of, of us taking care of people, sometimes we decide financially we're going to try to take care of too many people. Just, yeah, think about just a conversation I had with a physician, good friend of mine, a few weeks ago, or a few months ago now, and one of his relatives was changing jobs, moving from one city to the other, leaving a highly compensated job with no new job, and he and his wife, both physicians, he said, you know, well, I guess we'll just have to, uh, to, to pay for them until they find a job. 
but said it wasn't even thinking about it, just, well, that's my job. Well, it's not. So it, it's tough with, with kids, it's tough with friends, it's tough with relatives. Economic life support for other people is something you can't do. Now, if you're worth $10 million at age 50 because you started everything and you, and you lived modestly from the beginning, maybe you can help somebody, though it's probably not going to help them. If you're trying to make it up late in your career, you need to cut that stuff out. So if there was one or two tips you would give to that mid-career physician who's, who really is just having this realization, I need to start thinking, what would be the one or two tips you'd want them to take away with? So number one, redefine how you think about being wealthy. Make it about independence and not about stuff. Number two, look at your balance sheet. Um, what do you have on your balance sheet that is consuming money over time? And you may think about it, if, if you're a specialist and you have a $10,000 a year expense, you may think, well, that's nothing. That's profound over the next 40 or 50 years of your life. And that's compound interest. That's compound interest. Catches up with things. Yeah, very often we can look at the balance sheet, we can find a half million or a million dollars of assets that can be redeployed, that can be made functional assets. You know, we can almost always find, you know, with some of these, especially with, with specialist physicians who are the most prone to overspend, there's $20,000 that is just, they're not thinking about it because they're not thinking about $20,000 as real money. Over 50 years, $20,000 is millions of dollars. And, and probably that mid-career physician is probably in a relationship, probably married. And I don't think people talk about it either. And I, I think that that's probably one of the things is people, if you're going to go on a budget, if you're going to go on a budgetary diet with a partner, you guys need to talk about it. You need to be on the same page. And something that we see is, is very often there is one spouse who is just wedded to the idea that the big house is, is how I define myself. Um, yeah, my, my experience in general is it's actually the guys who are worse than the gals. Uh, the most successful clients uh, we have include a, a female physician who retired at 58. Put away the idea that I am defined by the stuff that I have. You know, you're defined by what you do for a living. I mean, just, just any doctor does something as a living that is profoundly more valuable in some sense than what almost anybody else does. Well, Jim, thank you so much for being on the show. The book is Changing Outcomes of Financial Recovery Strategy for Peak Career Physicians, available on Amazon.com. Thank you so much for being on the show. 